Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today we conclude the sermon series, Cross-Reference, a series that was an attempt to help link the First Testament scriptures with the New Testament scriptures, that we can learn so much from that and that we can gain so much insight from what these New Testament scriptures have to say to us based on what that First Testament had to say. On this Labor Day Sunday, we get to discover justice and generosity as revealed in both of these testaments. Now, I want to tell you that my mother uh, was not at all ashamed or reticent in sharing that she just didn't like this parable in Matthew. <laughs> didn't like it at all. It's not right. It's not right. It's just not right. <laughs> she was a woman of justice for sure. But there's a lot to discover here. And I want you to think back, if you can, because I had a hard time doing this, about the first job you ever held, where you worked for someone other than family, and you actually got paid for that work. One of my earliest recollections is that I got to work in the maintenance barn at El Campo RISD when I was uh, in the summer, when I was a freshman just newly become a freshman at El Campo High School. And uh, the barn wasn't air-conditioned. And so it was kind of hard. And I got to mix paint and do invoices and all kind of things like that. It was, it was pretty interesting. And then my first teaching job was at Richardson High School in Richardson, Texas here. I mean, and I remember getting my first paycheck and thinking, oh, my God. I, I have worked harder than I've ever worked in my life. And I'm not getting paid very much. And I was stunned at the amount of money that was just deducted from my paycheck for taxes and insurance and retirement. It took my good parents just a little bit of time to remind me that taxes help us care for others. That insurance insures that you can get health care if you need it. And at, in my young age, I had no respect or were, feel good about anything about retirement. <laughs> now I know why you pay retirement, right? I think the scriptures today are rich, and, and they're as challenging as they are rich. And I want to offer that... There are things we can learn on this Labor Day Sunday about work and about our lives in relationship to our work. The word Ecclesiastes is um, translated and oftentimes is translated as preacher or as teacher. And I'm going to use the teacher uh, name for what is happening here. This is, in my opinion, a wisdom teacher who has taken down, who has spent a lot of time thinking about life and about God and is trying to put down understandings about that. Um, the, the surprising thing about Ecclesiastes is that uh, things you wouldn't expect to find in Scripture 
honest confessions about doubts, struggles with faith, and most predominantly disillusionment with life. The writer seems to be a practical theologian, not a you know, ethereal theologian, always in their mental, in their mind, trying to figure things out, but a practical theologian. How does this work in my life and in our world? The majority of biblical scholars judge the teacher to be a consummate pessimist who despairs in finding anything good in life. Others, however, highlight the equality persistent, the persistent counterpoint of joy and hail this sage, this ancient sage, as somebody who is the eternal optimist. Well, which is it? Which is it? Well, I remind you that we emerge out of a progressive Christian faith tradition that tells us that the questions we ask are as important as the answers we discern. And that we hold both of these things, the challenge of life and the promise of God, together in tension with each other. Now, if you recall, the first eight verses of chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes reminds us that everything happens in God's time. That there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. And, and that we have to hold that in our perspective as we engage this text this morning. What we have to remember, of course, is that we naturally want to grasp a meaning by what is this teacher trying to teach us? How do we deal with these inconsistencies that this teacher writes about? And so we might find ourselves asking a question, okay, God, what do you expect me to do now? I know my life has an eternal purpose, and I desire to understand how all things work together for good. I understand. I have been given by you uh, a life of, of hope and of meaning. But I realize that I'm not you. That's a good thing to realize, right? <laughs> God is God, and I'm not. Okay? And I realize that I am not you and cannot say just why such and such a thing has come to me. And that's the key. I think the teacher of Ecclesiastes wants us to grasp that humility in the presence of God is essential because that humility allows us to stand in awe of the Creator, the, the one who has breathed life into all things. The point seems to be for this teacher is that God is the one who made everything right in God's time. And God has given humanity a sense of that which transcends the present. You know, we've been given this ability to dream into the future, but we don't have the ability to grasp the totality of what God has done, the mystery of God. The teacher ultimately draws a couple of conclusions. First, in the face of an unexplainable world, the desire of God is that we enjoy life. That's what this writer is trying to say. The second 
is that the divine purpose is that we stand in humility before God and experience the awe and wonder of the God we love. Now, then we get this story in Matthew, right? And remember that the reading in um, the reading that emerges in in Ecclesiastes uh, actually begins with with words about what do we get for our toil, our work? What do we get for that, right? Well, um, you know, Jesus was a rabbi, and and Ecclesiastes was part of Jesus's Bible, and so Jesus knew this story. Jesus knew about the writings of Ecclesiastes, knew about the wisdom of the wisdom teacher. And so um, Jesus uh, teaches that um, the community of followers of Jesus are to be a faithful alternative of loving, merciful, inclusive, praying, missional servants, anticipating the completion of God's purposes. And that's what we kind of get in this story. And Jesus emerges with this parable of the late workers. It is a parable of a just and generous landowner. It's a picture of God's reign in heaven and is a desire for God's reign on the earth. The landowner is wealthy and the day workers are impoverished. If you've ever gone driving around in, in Dallas or even in our suburbs, you will often see people standing, waiting to be picked up for employment. And the balance is still there. The landowners are wealthy in comparison and the day workers are impoverished. And I want to remind you that the text says that they each receive a daily wage, which would have been a denarius. And that denarius was considered a living wage for a family. And, and that's what, what they were given. The fact that they are day laborers available throughout the day suggests that there's uh, an oversupply of day workers and unemployment runs rampant. And then we get this really unique twist. That the ones who are hired the latest in the day get paid the same amount as those who were hired at the beginning of the day and work all day. And I can hear my mother, it's not right, it's not right, it's just not right. <laughs> the landowner defends his practice as good and challenges those who grumble. Are you envious because I am generous? The real translation of the Greek there is, is your eye evil because I am generous? Or we might say it this way, the landowner challenges them to see and to understand his actions as good, to see a different way, to embrace the commitment to give equally to all. The landowner wants their eyes to see and their hearts to understand. The landowner beckons them and us to understand God's reign and realm as disruptive and transformative and that this one good action can be turned into a way of life. 
And then the parable ends with the warning that is perhaps for all of us who have what we need. The last shall be first. And the first shall be last. The upside down reign of God, the preponderance of God to love the poor. This is what we hear in this amazing parable. Tom Long, professor of preaching at Candler School of Theology, unpacked this parable and reminds us, it is not a blueprint for labor practices or economic systems. Any company that paid people who work one hour a day the same as full-time workers would soon have a hard time getting people to come to work at 9 a.m., right? Even so, the parable works on our imaginations, doesn't it? It allows us to um, reflect on the marketplace and economic justice. It allows us to enter into, for even the merest moment, an alternate world, one that operates on generosity rather than greed, ambition, and competition. I don't know how many of you watch that TV show that they sometimes play in the night, in the middle of the night, uh, that they sometimes play, that talk, that traces people who have been caught up in greed. It's fascinating. It is fascinating that people get so eaten up with greed. But this is what um, we are invited to consider. It allows us to experience a world in which those who stand idle and ignored and discarded by society are nevertheless of great value to God. Worthy, regardless of their circumstances, to live with dignity each day. And that's where we hear the teacher in Ecclesiastes says that everyone, for their toil, should be able to live and be happy and have what they need. This is the call of God for the reign of God. It discloses the generosity that flows from the very heart and life of God. Now, I dare say that both Ecclesiastes and 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 this passage in Matthew is challenging. It's disruptive, but it can be transformative for us as well. Consider this. If we actually desire what God desires, then what are we to do about it? Today, today, an estimated 7.5 million people will lose federal unemployment benefits this weekend. Labor Day weekend. The Center for Budget and Policy Priorities report that while the employment rate remains low, millions still report that their households did not get enough to eat and are not caught up on their rent payments. This in the richest country in the world. 20 million adults live in households that did not get enough to eat in June. And 11.4 million adult renters are behind on rent. The impact of the pandemic has been widespread. We know that. But it remains particularly prevalent among, among black adults, Latino adults, and other people of color. Also, it shows us this analysis that the budget and policy uh, organization did shows us that between... Now, okay, you got to hear this that between five and nine million children live in a household 
where children didn't get enough to eat because the household couldn't afford it. We also know that people of color and people living in poverty will experience a greater impact of climate change as storms, fires, floods wreak havoc on our nation and the world. And Texas leads the way. The numbers of people in Texas who do not have enough to eat are over two million. The numbers of Texans who are not caught up on rent are over one million. And those that do not have enough to pay for household expenses are over six million. This breaks my heart. And interestingly enough, I think it breaks God's heart too. Because the desire of God in the parable of Jesus and in the teachings of the wisdom teacher are that God wants people to have enough so that they can enjoy life and be at peace. Years ago, I spoke at a conference on the professions It was all about how we as professionals in the fields of ministry, law, and medicine, those were the three professions, could help bring about a more just and generous world. I mentioned in my talk, I was invited to talk, so I mentioned in my talk that I was becoming weary. I was growing weary of trying to help bring about justice for all in a world that seemed to be a tsunami of poverty and injustice. And then during the Q&R, an African-American woman stood up and said, well, I don't have the luxury of growing weary. I have to continue to work in every way possible to bring about justice in every way that I can in my corner of the world and beyond. Oh, did my white privilege show or what? What are we left with? Well, the COVID pandemic has given us a new eye, a new way of seeing and understanding the challenges we face. Many people have reconsidered their workplace and are looking to do new things that bring them greater joy in their work and rest. Some are seeking ways to have a greater impact on the injustices in our country and the world. And still others are making a space for a greater connection with all that is holy in people and in creation. The good news is we're not alone in this. We live in a world where God reigns. And so we can have hope And we are called to be God's partners in bringing about God's reign on the earth, to be just and generous landowners. And there are also things we can do right here, right now. We can pray because for us to make an impact, we're going to have to set aside time to pray and think about this and engage God so that we know how to move forward. We can speak out when we see and experience injustices. We can do things that will help those who are hungry and unemployed and underemployed. Food banks, vaccination clinics, voter registration, uh, support for immigrants and refugees, and we can vote for God's sake. And we can ask ourselves, what is mine to do? Because it's overwhelming if you don't. What is mine to do? What is our churches to do? We know from our scriptures today that God cares about justice, the law and the prophets, and Jesus' own life and ministry testify to that. But there's one other thing we have to pay attention to, and I think it's critical for our understanding. David Lose is a senior pastor at Mount Olivet Lutheran Church in Minneapolis, and he articulates this truth for us in a way that I think we need to hear. In the end, 
in the end, justice can make things better. But it is love that saves. And so when forced to choose between exercising God's just judgment against us or forgiving and accepting us in love, God, through Jesus Christ, the cross and the resurrection, chooses love. God chooses love. And not just for us, but for all people. This is God. This is the God we discover in the writings of Ecclesiastes and in the teachings and the life of Jesus. Our God looks at us in love, and what we discover in that is that no matter how much we identify with those who worked all day, because we do, no matter if we identify with those who worked all day, in the end we realize that we're the latecomers. Those who had no good reason to expect such lavish, even reckless generosity. Our God looks at us and others and all people in love and therefore overlooks all those places where we fall and fail and chooses to treat us with unmerited grace, mercy, and generosity. Hear the voice of Jesus. Go and do likewise. Amen.